Guilt-free parenting can be realized when we apply Shema. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema in the Hebrew language is the hearing, and it's emphasizing knowing God and then following through with loving God. Welcome to our first podcast of our Walnut Park uh, parenting series. I guess we could call this more of a conversation. It's not a lecture. It's not really a teaching thing. It's just we're talking about parenting. So conversations about parenting. I'm Dave Wood, pastor here at Walnut Park, and uh, God's been so good to us. And I'm Lori, David's wife. We've been married 38 years. We have four grown daughters and eight grandchildren. And believe me, that doesn't make us experts at this. <laughs> That's why we're reading some more parenting books and why we're learning so much because we still have a lot to learn. Yep. And we definitely didn't do it very well the first time through. So, The longer I live, it becomes apparent to me that there's a lot that I don't know about parenting, just as you said. And and yet God is showing so much of himself to us mm. in this process. And I guess that's the value. As we're working through parenting struggles, learning about God and learning about God's presence. And that's that's a work in progress. We're going to attempt to cover a number of parenting issues in the coming weeks. We'll talk about God's grace and the gospel, really heavy on the gospel, and obedience. We'll talk about the power of joy. Yeah, that's an important one. The influence of a joyful atmosphere in a home. When a mom and dad can display the joy of the Lord, man, what a difference that makes. That, that, that gives so much strength to the, to the grace of God in a home. It's a positive help. And, and we'll talk also about listening and prayer. And how, how we listen helps our kids know that God listens. We'll take uh, a look at the funnel. That's just our terminology. I don't think it's original with us, but it's a, it's a concept about approaching parenting our children at different stages of their life and development and how we have to adjust along the way. We can't use the same strategy all the way through. We have to change as they change. We'll talk about the tendency to be overprotective and controlling. I'm really good at the controlling part <laughs> of that. A lot of times we just get fearful about something bad happening, so we're, we're trying to be overprotective, right. and that really isn't our job. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about building a sense of responsibility in our children and a work ethic and, and learning how to, how to handle money in, in a godly way or a biblical way. And we'll talk about what God says about discipline, God's view of discipline. How do we, how do we figure that out as it relates to the Scriptures? Today... Uh, We'll talk about how to become what we've termed a guilt-free parent, a guilt-free parent. And we're looking at just a couple of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This isn't so much a how-to of parenting. Uh, rather, we want to focus on what God is doing in us and in our children as he reveals himself to us. And that really is a journey in, in our parenting, guilt-free parenting. Is it possible? Yes, with God. See, what really is supposed to be happening here is that is that we learn who God is. Mm -hmm. 
and parenting is the opportunity to show who God is. It's showing how to comprehend God's mercy and his grace, his holiness, his truth, and, and his love. It's, it's discovering God. Yes. It's so easy in the parenting years to almost wallow in guilt over the things we feel that we didn't do right or that we wished we'd done differently. And that's not where we should be living as parents. Nope. Because we do have the grace and mercy of God to help us in this whole aspect of parenting. So where do we even start? How do we discover guilt-free parenting? Well, let's start with this. Really, one word. And that word is theology. Guilt-free parenting comes down to this word, theology, or the study of God. That's what theology is. It's the study of God. And life really is a 70-plus year-long theology class discovering who God is and what he's like and what he wants. And what we want to do is start that process early in our children's lives. So parenting is a life laboratory of discovery of God. Deuteronomy 6 4 through 7 tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, and when you rise. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. See, you're always thinking and talking theology. This is what parenting is. What's true about God? And, and we start with this Shema, or this hearing about God. And this is so important. It was so important to the children of Israel. In fact, when Paul said to Timothy to recall what his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice had taught him. This is what he was referring to. This, this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, the Shema. And it's talking about what God is like. What your children think about God is everything. So we want to stir their heart and their mind and their imagination to consider what is God like. And we read here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In a pagan world with multiple self-serving so-called gods, God Jehovah wants us to realize and teach that life isn't about the gods that we make. Life is all about him. He alone is God. The mm -hmm. Lord is one. Mm -hmm. You know, a quick little review of that word Lord that Often in our translations, it's, it's all capitalized, L-O-R-D. And that's referencing a very special word in, in the Bible that we would pronounce the best we know how as Jehovah. And it really is the relational name for God. Mm -hmm. It references the I am that I am that God spoke to Moses. Uh, I am everything that you'll ever need. And Jehovah is that third person of that, of that first person expression, I am that I am, or God is who God is. And it's, it's emphasizing the fact that God can be known on a very personal way. That word one um, in the Shema, the Lord is one, in that language Hebrew, uh, eshad, can mean 
first in importance. So realizing that the Lord is the first in importance. The Lord our God, the Lord is first as in all important. Seek first the kingdom of God. This word for one can also mean unified or together or close together. So a reading of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 could read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is unified. He's together. When you consider the Trinity and the fact that God is love, there's so much discovery and awareness of who God is that comes in this thought that the Lord is one. The Lord Jehovah, the I am that I am, is everything we'll ever need. He's first in importance, and he's the one that we can know in a very real way, a relational reality. And I think that's what Jesus was emphasizing in John 17 in his prayer for us, that we might know him, that we might have life eternal. And it's knowing God who is this God who speaks to us. He is our peace, our provider, our protector. He's our savior. He's the one and only, the one that we can know. So that's who God is. What does God want us to do then? When we discover him and learn of him, he wants us to love him from the heart. And God wants us to use, as parents, God wants us to use these life situations to teach God's commands to our children so they have the opportunity to learn who God is through observing those commands and to express how important it is that when we know who God is that we want to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our might. That's the point. Guilt-free parenting focuses on who God is and what God wants. And that then enables us to leave the results up to God. Yes. It's yes. not up to us. That's right. So we, we're trying to teach our children the Bible. We're trying to teach them about God and then live that out in front of them. You know, our walk talks and our talk talks, <laughs> but our walk talks a whole lot louder than our talk talks. So in so many situations, we're trying to show our kids our theology through our life. Like, you know, when your kids were supposed to be asleep at 8 and they're still awake at 9 and 10 and 10.30, they're still up. And maybe the frustration is mounting a little bit because you're exhausted and ready to go to bed. How do you show your theology to your kids? Do they see, wow, you know, mom or dad, they're really upset. Look at how mad they are. Or is this a teaching moment to help your child realize the importance of obedience and to help them realize how much you love God at that moment? That they need to learn to obey God because they love God. It's an important concept. It's also a great time if your parent, if your children see you frustrated, to remind them, you know, your mom is a sinner, and I do things wrong too. Hmm. I sin, and so do you. Yeah. We're sinners. And to point them back to what our theology looks like. You might have a teenager who's angry at you, and maybe that teenager is yelling at you. That's on a whole different level, isn't it? And what's our natural response? Uh, do you match the anger hmm. that they have with your own anger? 
<laughs> I think we've all done that, and that doesn't turn out so well. What's your child thinking? What's your teenager thinking at that point? Well, my dad is mad. He's the one with the problem. He's out of control. I have just as much of a right to be mad as he does. Dad, why are you angry? It's not because your child is breaking God's law. You, you're angry because your child has broken your law, and that, that offends you. And so then that's where the anger comes from. What if we use that situation to illustrate how we all are called to yield to God's authority and listen to what God wants? Mm -hmm. And then we take a moment right there to stop to pray and say, God, help us to show you honor. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about how we can show God honor even in these difficult situations where we don't like the way it's turning out. We don't like the way things are. And yet we can yield our, our, our will to God's will even in that moment. What a great opportunity. There are so many teaching moments within parenting. If we can slow down and be God-focused and turn them into God-given moments to talk about how that relates in our, in our walk with God. Maybe those two little kids are in a room fighting fighting over a toy. That never happens, right? <laughs> they get along all the time. So they're fighting over something. And our first response is to sort of say, well, who had it first? And to go from that angle, that the rule is, okay, who had it first? Well, we're actually dealing with idolatry in children's hearts, just like we have idolatry in our hearts. So we're working through a situation with them, right? Where they're fighting over something. What a great opportunity to help them realize that part of their responsibility is to learn to work things out themselves. What's the theology in Matthew 18 of, you know, go to your brother. So teaching these children that, hey, we can learn to work things out and you two need to fix this problem. I want to see how you fix it. And if you can't fix it, I will come in and fix it. And neither one of you will be particularly happy with how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Or a, a brother pushes his sister, and mom comes in and says, say you're sorry. And so he says, sorry. And then she says, well, say it like you mean it. And then he says, sorry again but he doesn't really mean it. What you've got here is compliance, but there's nothing good going on at that moment in his heart. What if that was an opportunity to express the gospel again? Maybe you say, we're gonna talk about this later, and you come back and talk about it, and you ask, what did you do? Well, I pushed my sister. What were you thinking? Well, she was in my way, but then you, ask this very important question, what does God say about yeah. that? And God says, be kind one to another, and that wasn't, so that makes it sin. So then we get to have an opportunity to talk about the gospel because of our sin problem. And here's what God did for you instead of pushing you away because we did something he, he didn't like. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's love that's where the gospel becomes a very real thing to your children. Mm. Or maybe you have a, a whiner 
and boy, did the children of Israel whine all the time. And that it just expressed their rebellion of their heart. So then you, rather than just talking about what it is they're upset about, you ask what's going on in their heart and, and what does God say about that? And it's not about me getting what I want or having my way. It's about what is it that pleases Jesus. So many situations come along. Heartbreaks, children will face that. Mm-hmm. The death of a loved one, we have, we've had that in our own home. An unfair experience at school, maybe a teacher isn't treating the child fairly or other kids. Man, children can be so mean to each other. But all of these are teaching moments to, to point us back to the, the reality of the presence of God and what he's like and then how we can express our love to God because of what he's done for us. So what do our children grow up thinking about God? That's a key question. And it's our job to help them discover God in all those situations. Teach them diligently in everyday situations. You know, I heard something the other day a Lifeway survey that was taken in 2016, kind of trying to figure out why children, as they grew up, left the church. And the number one thing that came out of that was regular Bible reading as a child was the biggest factor Hmm. in predicting the spiritual health of young adults. And we have no excuse in our day and age. We really don't. I mean, there are so many really good, solid videos that our kids can watch that get across in a fun way the Bible. There are so many books out there that as our children start to read, they can read them or we can be reading them to them. That's important. There's music. There's so much music out there that's available that help our kids learn to sing Bible verses. I ran across one recently that I just love, and I I think it's 60 main events in the Bible, and they're in a song. And it's so catchy that even a three-year-old can sing those back to you. So all of these are opportunities to help discover God and then respond to God. And it, it really is our job to help our children know God and to love God. Uh, in everyday life situations that they face. And, you know, I can't tell you how freeing it has been to realize that my job as a parent isn't to raise Mm -hmm. good kids. My job is to work with God to help our kids have a chance to discover Him, that He's real, He's present, He's a very present help, He's a very personal God. And I realized... uh, somewhere along the line, that this involved this mindset in my thinking. It's not my job to control my kids or to make my kids turn out right. I can't be there all the time controlling or protecting or determining how they think or what they do. My job, rather, is in a sense to be the Holy Spirit's mouthpiece, saying what God is saying through his word, Mm -hmm. until they can hear and respond to God directly on their own. Yes. And, and what a joy it is to, to when you watch that happening where they start listening to God on their own. It's like, this is, what it, this is what I was hoping would happen. 
Yes, I I agree. I I was thinking about how many times I the way I controlled my children was because of their behavior and wanting to bring that under control. When I actually stopped and analyzed it, it's so much more important that we realize we want them to have a right response to God. And you know, there's only one sovereign and it's not me. Right. So it's God who's in control of my children. And you know, we can't force our children really to do anything. We have to be there to help them and guide them in the way yeah. of righteousness, learning and understanding the Bible and realize it's not about me. It's not about if my kid's behavior embarrasses me. It's what can I help them learn about God in this situation? Yep. And again, looking back, I wish there were so many things that we could have done better or differently, but that really isn't the focus. The The focus is what God is doing in the midst of all that and, and how God can even use me in spite of me uh, to help my children realize who God is. Um, and here's what encourages me. There's hope. God uses me even with all my failings because as Lori mentioned again and again, he is sovereign. He's in control. And so if, if I'm just focusing on coming alongside what God's doing and reaching the heart of my child, it's really up to God. Um, I guess the, the story that helps me grasp this the most is, is something that's very personal to me. Uh, my dad, his mom, uh, died when he was just five years old. Uh, she died in childbirth. I think uh, it was a very traumatic thing when the second set of twins that she had had, uh, the, both of these children died, and then she died as well. And the whole family just kind of fell apart. Uh, I think there were seven or eight other children in the family, and they were all farmed out to different family members. And uh, Dad eventually came back and lived with his dad, my grandpa, but my grandpa turned to alcohol, so he was like a non-existent influence on my dad. But all those years, uh, he just kind of wandered around on the streets of Wilmington, North Carolina, and with, with no real direction or training. And it wasn't until he was 17 that, that he heard the gospel. He was actually in the Naval Reserve training uh, to be in the, the war that was going on, World War II, and one of the trainers said, by the way, back on the back table in the back of the room, there are little New Testaments that you can take, and that's free for you to take. And it was a Gideon New Testament. And that was the first time my dad came across the gospel, and he read it, and he realized, yes, I am a sinner, but Jesus Christ did something for me as God. He died for my sins on the cross, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day, and I can believe on him. And my dad right there did that, and that, that was the moment of, of his... He, salvation and uh, he wanted to start following Jesus and so he <laughs> he went to a Christian college uh, just started learning about Jesus and learning the best he could uh, met there a young gal who was from Idaho and they fell in love and they got married and they just set out to serve the Lord to learn about God and and just try to love God the best they could and you know what 
as a child, I remember that. My parents wanted to know God, and they wanted to love God, and they demonstrated that the best they could. Oh, they weren't perfect. Oh, boy. In fact, my brother and I, we, we can have conversations of, of the failings that, that my parents represented. But that gives me hope, because God uses imperfect people. And God used my parents as imperfect as they were. But yet God was able to use their lives to influence me to discover who God is and what he's like and what he wants. So that gives me hope. Now, the more I've been in this matter and thought about it, the more I realize that my parenting reveals what I'm really like. My kids see what I'm really like. And I see my spiritual problems. And when I see them, it's like I'm looking in a mirror (laughs) and I don't necessarily like what I see. Uh, There's a great book uh, by Gary Thomas uh, called Sacred Parenting. And he said this, Parenting will lead us to confront spiritual sins that we never even knew existed. It will point out our inner weaknesses that we saw as strengths, and it will reveal holes big enough to to drive our SUVs through. (laughs) I thought that was quite a picture how big the problems are that we didn't even notice before. They're big enough that we could drive our SUVs through. I loved this. It's a little section in that book, Sacred Parenting, that really resonated with me. I honestly wish I'd have read this back when I had kids. I'm going to take a minute and just read this section to you. The positive side of our limitations is this. Weakness on our part can actually become a strength when we use it to transfer our kids' allegiance from us to God. We need a Savior just as they do. We can love them, but God alone has loved, is loving, and will love them with a perfect love. Our children need to know that even if mom and dad let them down, there is one who will always be there for them. My desire to be, and this is Gary Thomas writing this, my desire to be the very best daddy in the whole wide world, cloaked a desire to be treated like a god in my own house. What enormous pressure this put on me. How much more freeing to admit to my children, do you see, kids, why daddy needs a savior just as you do? Why all of us are helpless apart from God's grace? I can't be God to my kids but I can model my need for for God. Guilt has given me this gift of understanding. What's better for the kingdom of God? That my son son and daughters would say, I can never serve God like my dad did. Or that they'd say, if God can use my dad, he can use me. There's no question. The latter statement is the reality that most serves God's purposes long-term. It's my job as my children's parent to model my own need for God's mercy and to demonstrate how God can use even sinful people to accomplish his aims. In this sense, we we shouldn't look at guilt as a parking lot, but as a car wash. When Hmm. guilt feelings keep us self-absorbed, destroy our motivation, and make us discouraged. Guilt has become a parking lot. Not a good thing. But when guilt reminds us that we are insufficiency, and when this ins- excuse me, but when guilt reminds us that we are insufficient, and when this insufficiency points us to God, 
to his forgiveness, his empowering spirit, and his provision of grace. Then guilt becomes a spiritual car wash. You don't camp out in a car wash. You just go there to get clean. You drive through the car wash and come out on the other end with an entirely new outlook. That's one of the healthy roles that guilt can play for parenting, pointing us and our children to God. That's great. Nobody better demonstrates the need for the gospel and the power of the gospel better than a parent who isn't perfect before his kids, but who responds to a loving God working in his own heart. So start with confession, a humble admission. Be quick to say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, will you please forgive me? And express a genuine repentant heart to follow through with change. Mm. God, I need you. Show me who you are. Help me to love you. Mm. And help my choices now to reflect that. When our children see that, they see God in reality because God is real to us. Mm. And so then we're looking for ways to express who God is and what God wants. And that becomes what life is. That's, it's not a parenting strategy. It's just the way we live. So when your child does something wrong and sinful, don't say, Oh, I can't believe you did that. What were you thinking? That was really dumb. Instead, hey, honey, you know, your struggles in life are the same struggles I have. I love you so much, and we're going to figure this out together. What do you think God wants? God wants us to love him. And what happens next is all important. Talk. Mm -hmm. We have to talk. I, something I heard recently talked about the importance of asking questions in parenting. Instead of telling them what to do, asking, what should you be doing right now? Or what's the next thing you should be doing? Asking questions, talking with them, even through their struggles, and asking questions. Mm-hmm. When I confess the urgency of my own need and ask for God's help, and my children see that that's happening in my life, in their presence, and then we start talking about it, and and as Lori was just saying, we ask questions, uh, there's a discovery of God that is taking shape there that then God can frame and use in, in incredible ways. You know, there are three book recommendations that we've found very helpful. One by the name of uh, Parenting. The the title of the book is just simply that, Parenting. It's by Paul David Tripp. It's not so much a how-to manual as it's it's a discussion sort of like what we've been talking about here. Very helpful. Uh, Another classic, I think, is very helpful is Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick, which, again, is is moving the focus off of control and and bringing bringing our minds to the need for God's help, God's grace to be applied and lived out in life. Uh, But I think one of our favorites that we've come across recently is this book that we've been quoting several times already, Sacred Parenting by Gary Thomas, Sacred Parenting. And it really is bringing us to a God awareness all the way through these different situations. Mm. Uh, We need that. Gary Thomas said, and I I like this, when we realize that having children isn't about us, but is rather about God, then the trials 
and sacrifices of parenting are more easily borne. We see the purpose behind the difficulty and we remind ourselves, this isn't about me, it's about him. It's so easy to get focused on ourselves in the midst of frustrations or being impatient or something that our children does instead of helping the focus to be about God. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, with all of this in mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Guilt-free parenting comes down to this. First, help your children to really know God. And second, help them to love God. What does God want? He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. With these podcasts, uh, we're hoping to maybe help your view of parenting develop Definitely your view of God uh, and your role as a parent isn't so much to produce something, but to be a representative of something. You are a representative of God. That takes the guilt and all the expectations out of the picture. When we can get that, it, it, it frees us. You are just simply called to represent the king again and again in everyday life situations. An ambassador of reconciliation to our almighty God. They belong to God anyway. You do not own your children, neither does the government, and that's a whole other discussion. God does. God owns your children. We are made in God's image. We are his creation. So our job as parents is to make the invisible presence of our ever-present God obvious and real to our children. His grace, his power, his authority, his love, his gospel, his purpose, his will, his ways. You make God real to your children. You make him visible in the lives of your children. And in a very real sense, you are what God looks like to them as they develop. His tone of voice, his facial expression, the touch of his hand, his readiness to listen in prayer. God can use you as a parent to reveal himself as a loving God to your children. That's a great calling. Next time, we'll talk about why it's so important for your children to come face to face with the sin problem that we all have. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our culture doesn't like to talk about that. We, we like to think that it's not that big of a deal. But when we understand the, the, the reality of the sin problem, then we begin to comprehend the power of the gospel. And we're going to talk about how obedience is, is a, a means to help our children comprehend the importance of responding to our sin problem, learning to listen to God, and to his gospel. Uh, We'll look forward to this the next time. Thanks for joining us with this conversation about parenting, and I hope that God will encourage you to have guilt-free parenting, recognizing that God will use you to make himself real.
to your children so that they will love him with all of their heart, soul, and might as well. Have a great day.